it's important to really disconnect from blue light effects like such digital devices, computers, and things like that, at least probably 60 minutes, even 90 minutes before bed. And I know it's hard, and I, and I talked before, I'm more of a practical person, but it, if, if sleep is important, and it should be, <laughs> then we should really do our best to disconnect from blue light. When it came to eating and dieting, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I interviewed over a thousand women and I said, what did you do? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What did you eat? How'd you do it? If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, The Chantel Ray Way. And each week I have different guests answering your questions. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and I'm so excited for today's guest. It's Mazen Baisa, and I met him at the Leadership Summit, not the Leadership, but the Mindshare Summit in San Diego a few weeks ago, and Mazen is the founder of UMAXA, which is so cool because he has different programs that supercharge your body, your mind, your energy, and who isn't looking for more energy right now? So welcome, Mazen. How are you? I am doing very well, Chantel. Thank you so much, and I'm glad to be with you today. So talk about UMAXA for just a little bit. What do you offer, and how does it help people? Yes, uh, UMAXA is about all the, about maximizing productivity and performance through healthy habits, because unfortunately, sometimes what we do in the pro the way we're trying to make our success and trying to be successful, we kind of end up trading our wealth making for our health. <laughs> and that is, UMAX is about making sure that that doesn't happen. And that as we're building wealth, as we're trying to be more successful, and as we're actually trying to do great things in the world, that we respect the fact that we need to be healthy to do all that. And it's a foundation that we need to have. And we do that through developing healthy habits that are doable, practical, and sustainable. Awesome. Now, I know before the show, we were talking about intermittent fasting, and you do practice intermittent fasting a little. Tell us about that, and how has it helped you? Yes, um, and, and I really think it's, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Intermittent fasting is, is one of the areas that is obviously growing a lot in popularity for a lot of people and the benefits that it offers. But the amazing part for it is for me as a pharmacist and kind of what I say, a geeky guy in science, I love the science that is coming about intermittent fasting and, and the tremendous benefits that it actually provides for the body, for the brain, and for longevity. Uh, for me personally, I've been doing this before probably became a big topic, which is kind of out of, uh, you know, like the, the, the basic practices that I was doing. And I liked actually to do intermittent fasting in different seasons differently. So for example, in some days I would do, in, my, in mo most of my days, I do the 16-8 kind of, you know, restricted window intermittent fasting. Uh, and there's also one interesting part I've learned about that too. A lot of people sometimes feel like, the best thing to do, they skip breakfast or they may not eat lunch and then they will eat a heavy dinner. But the data is actually showing now when we do these, um, you know, uh, kind of time restricted feeding practices, it's actually best to avoid a heavy meal in the evening and more really actually try to do and eat during the beginning of the day and midday because of our circadian rhythm just has how our brain has a clock, uh, you know, the, that helps with the rhythmicity and helping us with sleep and, and, uh, and waking up in the morning. Gene, like there's different genes in our pancreas, in our stomach, in our, um, 
kidneys and our liver, it's called clock genes. And these clock genes, they actually work better if we provide food earlier in the day and actually reduce the food intake in the evening. Mm. So one of the things basically that I think a lot of people get wrong with intermittent fasting and they may not see even results or become harder for them to do it is that they may feel like, oh, great, I want to skip breakfast. And when I say breakfast here, I don't mean you have to wake to eat as soon as you wake up, but I'm saying the first meal, right? Breaking the fast. Um, But it's interesting research right now coming on about like the importance of actually following the circadian rhythms when it comes to intermittent fasting, because we have these clock genes in every, in most organs in the body. And to optimize the benefit is best to not eat much at night and actually eat more toward the beginning and uh, and, uh, mid of the day. So, so that's kind of and, part of that, what I do. You know, I, I try to do mostly the time restricted window. And then some seasons, I will actually do also prolonged fast, like for a day or two, uh, depending on what's going on in my life. So, Awesome. So, you know, it's funny. I feel like a lot of people are moving to talking about intermittent fasting and changing it to calling it time-restricted eating. I was talking, I had a one-on-one conversation with Dr. Mercola when we were at the summit, and I kept saying something about intermittent fasting. He said, I really prefer calling it time-restricted eating. And so when he said that, so now I've started calling it a little bit more on the time-restricted eating. Now, let's... Point because it really is the concept of intermittent fasting is very broad, and as you know, there's different practices, there's different kind of modalities for intermittent fasting. But what most people are practicing is really time restricted feeding, they're not truly doing like full day fasting, or they're not doing you know, um, kind of like prolonged fasting. So, yeah. Yes, and And the other other thing is, I think think it's really really important for you to listen to your body and listen to when you happen to be hungry. So, like for me, in, in the, the morning, morning, I've, you know, you know I've, I've kind of changed how I eat, but, you know, different times for me around one o'clock, that's mm-hmm. when I really start getting hungry. And then I don't like to eat late at night, but my perfect kind of hours for me to eat are usually in a four to five hour window. So I like to eat, I like to eat a, a bigger lunch. And I like, I like to eat a very small dinner. So I like to eat around 1, around 5.30, we eat at an early dinner. I'm not that hungry, but I might be a little bit hungry. So I like to have a large meal at lunch and then a small something at dinner. And those are the two times. So that usually works for me. That's when, I, when my body responds best to food. And, and I, I think, think people need to listen to their body and say, yeah. when is it that, that I'm hungry and when is it? you know, you know that, that what works for me i totally agree with you there's like one thing you know one of the phrases i use a lot i say the body is your best reporter and a lot of time we don't listen to the best reporter which is our body and what's telling us although it's amazing that our body you know how we have iq right when it comes to the smartness and all that and then now there's all the you know in in, in the business world they say eq right the emotional intelligence but one of the best intelligences that we have available to each one of us every day and we have it within us we don't even need to read much about it or you know buy anything for it is really the body intelligence <laughs> bq <laughs> yeah. call it, right um, and, and if we listen and start to understand more about our bq and really start like to be careful like what is our body trying to tell us what is going on we could be in a lot better places than just kind of haphazardly following what others might say or some of the you know the diets that may be existing that may not be the the best for our bodies so yeah 
Awesome. awesome. Now, now talk, talk to me a little bit about protein, protein because I know that you are a big advocate about protein and talk about what did you eat for lunch? What did you eat for dinner yesterday? And what are your thoughts on protein? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, protein is very interesting for me because for me as a pharmacist, I, I could say that, uh, you know, after selling over 10 million pills, <laughs> I've discovered that there's really no magic pill. Unfortunately, a lot of the patients that I used to serve in the past when I used to work as a pharmacist, that they'd start to come to us with maybe with one or two prescriptions for some chronic diseases, say diabetes or cholesterol or blood pressure or some, you know, pain even uh, relief. And all of a sudden, I've noticed over two, three years that they're on more prescriptions. <laughs> they're not on less prescriptions. They're not actually getting their disease treated. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying prescriptions don't have value. They do have value. And then actually that, you know, we need, we need prescriptions. We need medications. But the reality is, lifestyle changes is really what makes the better choice when it comes to you know optimizing health and longevity now when it comes to protein is an area that I've done a lot of research on because the more I keep reading and researching it and looking into the science of it the more I really see how many of us misunderstand the benefit of this micronutrients especially lately right there is a big world of, of um, fight and, and talk about like the importance of low carb, right? Low carb diet or high carb diet. And then we have high fat diet and the low carb. But one of the macronutrients that sometimes get missed in these kind of what I would say diet wars is really the protein. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and is protein, particularly even for anybody that is doing intermittent fasting, it's very important because as we know, as we deplete our you know, glycogen levels through intermittent fasting or you know, kind of exhaust um, glucose or trying to get into the ketones, but an intre- intermediary step is that we actually a lot of time end up breaking muscles and to get amino acids because our body needs amino acids to survive. And if mm-hmm. we don't have enough protein intake during a day, and, and we're doing intermittent fasting, we may not be getting the best benefit, especially if we're trying to use it for weight loss or fat, you know, fat oxidation and actually burning fat. Um, so protein is a critical macronutrient for anybody. I, I know sometimes the data out there, and I don't know, maybe Chantel, what your experience has been with protein, but I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, we don't need a lot of it. 50 grams of it is, not, is enough. But the reality is most of us need probably about one gram per pound of protein to have an optimal health. And I'm talking about this is probably minimal levels uh, for individuals, depending on if they're exercising and they do athletic activities or they're dealing with a lot of stress, they may even need more. But the, the newer studies are showing that we need about one gram of protein per pound per day to optimize our health. Mm. So that is that is a problem for me. I will tell you, I think um, one of the things is is that um, I, I realize that I have a trouble finding a lot of protein that I love. And so I'm so finicky. Like, I'll have, I like grilled chicken, but I only like like a certain grilled chicken. And I love grilled shrimp, but I'm very finicky about it. So, yeah. but... I will tell you, especially after your fast. So I like to sometimes have something sweet. I'm going to show you. I have these little candies. They're called Gin Gins. And they're pretty good for you. I mean, like having one, they're not terrible. Like if you just want something sweet at the end of your meal. And, but they have a little bit more sugar than I'd 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 love love them them to have. have. But Yesterday, yesterday I was, I was, I was on a fast yesterday. I had a back-to-back meetings all day. And so around 
four o'clock, these came, they were delivered. And I had three of them because I hadn't eaten anything. Yeah. And they literally, I think they have, they might have like 10 grams of sugar, I think, for each one, which is a lot for this little tiny thing. I have yeah. to double, <laughs> double, yeah, I have to double check of how much sugar they have. So if I had three of them, but just having that much sugar after a fast, it's like if I have the protein, right? If after my fast, if I have protein as my first meal, the first thing I eat is protein. It helps me to eat less. I feel better. So it, I think it's more important than people realize, just like you said. You're right, Chantel. I, I, absolutely. And that's actually the area that I've studied them, you know, like heavily in the sense, like what's the effect of protein when it comes to our satiety or when it comes to really yeah. our hunger signals in the body, right? Yes. And, and protein is one of those nutrients or macronutrients that really give us the best kind of, if there's a big fighter for cravings, or if there's a big kind of fighter for actually kind of helping with, you know, us to fight through the day and the sense of hunger feeling or hunger pangs, protein is really our best, our best choice. Because mm. what it helps with, it helps to actually manage the hunger hormones better. And it also helps with even our brain uh, satiety metrics to be to be better. Now, interestingly, our body, because of the need for protein, because our bodies cannot make its own protein, right? Like, you know, you, you actually need to have it from an outside source, especially the amino acids, uh, the essential amino acids. So if we don't have enough essential amino acids through the day, our bodies start to crave protein. Now, most people, instead of eating protein, they go for the comfort food. But what happens is they feel like they need to keep eating or they need to actually go for sugary snacks because mm. that's just their way of trying to deal with that with the hunger pang or with the hangry <laughs> feeling as, as you know, for some individuals. And I would say protein is a great thing to have. These days it's easy to get it. I mean, in the past, yeah, it's to probably, I have to do a lot of cooking. You have to do it. these days. Like, you know, as you said, you can get a chicken, it could be salmon, it could be protein shakes, which I love a lot. I, uh, you know, like, because to me, it's just, for, we're all busy these days. And a lot of times, sometimes in the past, one of my excuses for not getting enough of it was like, ah, I don't have time to go get chicken or get salmon or get beef or something. Now it's like, it's available everywhere, <laughs> you know, and yes. there's all type of protein shakes and protein powders that could be added through our day to give us what we need to, to optimize our protein intake. Mm, I love it. And the yeah. other thing is watching people who have, you know, a lot of these juices, you know, the juice bars are popping up everywhere. And my suggestion is... You know, if you want to get it, in my opinion, like when I, the only reason I'm getting having a smoothie, I put a massive, massive amount, amount of spinach and kale and massive, massive amount of greens in there and then make sure I have that protein in there and then I'll put a little tiny bit of fruit. But, you know, these juice bars, I mean, the amount of sugar that's in there and then you're not having that protein to balance it out and you could really start packing on the pounds. You're right. While, while thinking, right. oh, I'm having all this juice. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And that's kind of the challenge, unfortunately, with sometimes what things that supposed to be healthy, <laughs> but they're not really healthy, which is even trickier because you think you're doing something great by actually having a juice. Or, and some juices are in the healthier side or the healthier spectrum, but most out there really, they're not. Yes, they do contain probably 30 to 40 grams of sugar, which stimulate our insulin. And as soon as insulin is spiked, we know that we're not in fat burning mode anymore, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we stop burning fat. Um, and, and that's why, in the, and actually the interesting part about juice with no protein or with no fat, that you also get a very quick absorption of that glucose into the blood. 
and that causes a faster spike in insulin and then it actually drops the blood sugar faster so people feel hungrier we have i don't know if you've noticed but if you kind of go for yes. something sweet right away and you're not and you haven't had protein or fat before it you actually feel okay for the next 30 minutes 45 minutes but then all of a sudden you're like more hungry than you were before um and that's just because of the fast spike in you know blood sugar and then insulin release and then the drop happens quickly and you go through that roller coaster effect. Yeah. And I mean, I just know better, but like this, <laughs> for example, like this got delivered. I hadn't eaten anything all day and yeah. I was like, Oh, gin gins. <laughs> I totally, I, I get it. And look, I'm a practical person. I mean, I have to say sometimes it's so hard these days with, with all the overwhelm of information, Chantel, right. And there's so much out there, so much information coming. I'm all about practicality. I mean, you asked mm -hmm. me, what did I eat for dinner yesterday? Yes. I had, you know, I was trying to go for a healthier option. So I had some salmon. I had a little bit of, you know, like some potato and, but I did. I did have a little bit of chocolate ice cream. I, but I did it, you know, in, in a careful amount. Moderation. And yeah. And I'm all about like, you know, creating what I call choice architecture. Surround yourself mm. with things that allow you to actually be healthier. Because it's so easy when you have that bag of candy around you. <laughs> yeah. Like the one you have there. It's so easy to resist to have your hand just reaching out to it, you know. Um, so we call the environment the invisible hand. So I always say optimize the invisible hand around you and make a great, a good choice architecture to support you. Yes. And I love that you are a pharmacist, so you really understand drugs. And we have a lot of guests. We talk about thyroid all the time. So I want to ask yeah. your opinion uh, on this. Now, almost all the, the people we've had on our show, besides one, um, said that, you know, they recommend a more desiccated thyroid, like an armor thyroid or a nature thyroid versus, versus a synthroid. One, One person, person said, said well, well, I've, I've seen, seen a couple people do a little bit better on synthroid than armor, but I would say 99% of our experts have said, you know, don't touch synthroid uh, because a lot of times people have trouble converting their T4 to T3. And so if you're just getting T4 through synthroid, you're going to have a problem. I'd love to hear your thoughts as a pharmacist. What is your opinion on thyroid? And everyone seems to be having thyroid issues right now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, sure. That, that's actually a very, very good question, Chantel. And it's true. Thyroid is a big thing these days. And also, unfortunately, uh, a lot of thyroid medication changes happen through, you know, through the years, right? Like either there's a recall or something, or sometimes like there's a shortage on some thyroid medications. Oh, speaking of shortage, so Nature Thyroid here at, um, at our particular area, which I live in Virginia Beach, we had no, no nature, nature thyroid. Like, like you, you could, could not get, get nature thyroid. CVS was out of it. Walgreens was out of it. I'm thinking to myself, wow, how many people here in Virginia Beach that they were like, we're on back order for three weeks. We're on back order for two weeks. So um, a lot of people here, I've heard from us on our show that are saying, hey, because we had an expert. It's funny. I wonder how many people saw the show, but they said, you know, that uh, it was Elle Roos, and she is a huge expert on thyroid. Amazing podcast if you guys haven't heard that one. But she really recommended Nature Thyroid. And once that podcast came out, I mean, like maybe a couple weeks later, you couldn't find Nature Thyroid if you wanted to. So what's your thoughts? 
Yeah, so so overall, here's what I said earlier, and I'm going to go back to that same point, right? Like, I think the body has its own intelligence. And I really believe that we all are individuals, and we all have an individual needs. And depending on where we at, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of yes, you know, it's better to use, you know, the desiccated or the nurture throid or any of these versions where it has a combination of T3 and T4. And instead of just a synthetic, you know, T4 like Synthroid or Levithyroxine, you know, like basically Levithyroxine, which is the generic name for it, because there's Synthroid, there's Levoxyl, there's like all these brand names for, uh, for you know, uh, Levithyroxine. So I, I normally would say, yes, it's, it's, it's a better choice. However, I'm not going to completely, disc, disc, you know, like say, um, never use Synthroid or never use Levoxyl because it depends. Some patients may actually have a need for it or they may not be reacting well to having T3 in their preparations. Um, and they may need to go the, the, you know, the T4 only option, uh, so, you know, the synthetic T4 option. But for most people, it works really well when they use a nurture thyroid or they use any of these kind of, you know, T3, T4 combombinations that have similar, um, I guess, uh, kind of uh, combination to what our body normally would have. Um, and a lot of time, I would say also with the thyroid medications, it just the consistency of taking them is obviously important, right? And then also like, you know, when do they take it during the day is, is important too. And, you know, how do they do with it during the day? Like, you know, like to take it on an empty stomach versus just like eating right away after it because thyroid absorption changes based on how we eat also. Um, but then another choice, I would say when there is a big shortage, I mean, as a pharmacist, I would say always great to consult with a good compounding pharmacy in the area. Most people these days, there's like, you know, there's compounding pharmacies in the area and they could actually formulate certain things for them based on their need because some people might be maybe allergic to something or specific in the pill that it could actually be compounded without it, like without lactose, for example, if they're actually allergic to lactose because a lot of the pills have lactose in them. So a good compounding pharmacy could actually make that for them without lactose and, um, you know, give them less problematic issues. So which, which like, like does, does armor, armor or nature throat have, have, have lactose in it? You know, I think actually most of them know because there's different versions of that, but I think actually, no, I, be, I don't believe that one has, I know they reformulated it, uh, re, you know, like I think a couple of years ago. So I'm not really sure what the final formulation came, um, you know, like about, or actually what was included in it, but I could check into that and probably even send you a quick email about it. If you're going to be posting that somewhere and, and get you the exact exhibients, what we call in the pharmacy world, that, uh, that you know, nature thyroid or methroid actually have. But I know most of the other elf, you know, like what we call the L4s or the synthroid and the levoxyl, they usually do have um, that. Some of them also have talc in it, which a lot of people sometimes have sensitivity to talc and um, they don't really get better, good results with it. Um, but one thing too, when I, we talk about thyroid, since I don't know how much of this conversation Chantel you want to make it about thyroid, yeah. but I would say also it's important to pay attention to T, reverse T3. Because I've had some patients, they say, you know what, I've been on this, but my T3 levels are just not moving. And I'm on nurture thyroid, I'm on armor thyroid. And, mm. and I would say one area to look into sometimes is the, is the, is the reverse T3, which could actually sometimes be a, a reason where the body's not getting the active T3 is that we were making, we're converting more of the thyroid medication into reverse T3. So, and that has not much of activity in the body and big component of what actually causes the body to convert into what we call reverse T3 is stress and inflammation. Mm. The more inflamed the body is and the more the body's under stress, 
um, the more actually we end up not converting into the active T3 thyroid and we actually end up converting into reverse T3. Mm, awesome. I love that. Um, so now I know that, are you a proponent of essential oils? Are you, do you like essential oils? Do you propone, you know, are you an advocate of them? Yeah, yeah. I enjoy essential oils almost every day in my car, in the office, at the house. <laughs> I, I think essential oils, and I would say selected essential oils, because like, it's a big industry these days, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like so many like kind of uh, hyperboles and frauds and all type of things when it comes to the essential oil industry. So it's like, yes, you know, like a good, you know, like a high quality grade, therapeutic grade essential oil. It, it, it's a great thing to have. I think I've even written an article about that in one of our blogs, you know, we call it like the scent of success and how essential oils could actually help with productivity and focus. Um, and it's really amazing. Uh, essential oils, you know, the, 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 the sense it's, it's got like VIP access to our brain. It's one of the very few sensory kind of nerves and sensory systems like, you know, in our bodies that have direct and VIP access to the brain, particularly to the part of the brain that supervises our emotions, our experiences, and our memories. And that's the amygdala part of the brain. Um, And a lot of other senses, like when you, you know, the eye, you go through a lot of processing for the message to get into the brain. The ear, like, you know, to hear a noise, you go through the scent through the nose gets very quickly to the brain and people sometimes obviously like they know if you smelt something you remember a memory if you smelt something you may kind of feel hungry (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that is all because scent has like what i call a direct vip access to the brain particularly the supervisors of uh of the emotions memories and um uh and kind of like good feels or bad feels so, yeah. So, I, overall, I love essential oils. Now, do you know, um, do you know Dr. Eric Z and Mama Z? Um, yes. From, yeah, so they are a big yeah. proponent of essential oils. They have some great books on it. They've been on our show as well. Um, so, if you want to learn more about that, go back and listen to one of our podcasts. But um, frankincense, you know what someone told me about, someone told me about, essential oils that I was like, hmm, that's a good Good point. point. They They said, said, well, "Well, the the wise men brought Jesus frankincense and myrrh when they came. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So, you know, (laughs) I was laughing. I was like, yeah, that's true. They're wise men. They're bringing. So do you have any, um, any for like, if you were going to say to someone, look, you've got thyroid issues or autoimmune, is there any special uh, essential oils that you say these particular one either help with focus or help with thyroid or mood or autoimmune? Do you have any specific ones that you could suggest? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, well, here's the thing. I mean, there are definitely some ones that are probably better than other for different things. But overall, I would say the biggest thing a person should look for is really the quality of the essential oil. Because even if there are certain things, for example, if we talk about mood and productivity or even just stress relieving, right? People would go more for the lavender or they would go more for, you know, kind of like a light scent, a light scent of uh, say, you know, like if they want more like energy, they would go for like grapefruit or like a lemon. But I would say the, mo- the most important part, more than actually the scent of the essential oil is the quality of the essential oil. Because if it's a low quality, regardless of what scent you're going for or what type of, you know, smell that you're trying to get, 
uh, you could actually be causing damage. So I'm more like I've actually essential oils that kind of help to relax the system, especially if we're talking about thyroid, because a lot of the thyroid patients, they're already dealing with a lot of inflammation, a mm -hmm. lot of stress going on into their life, right? So mm -hmm. I'm more like into essential oils that have more calming properties like lavender and particularly lavender, it contains one of the bioactive ingredients in it or bioactive compounds is called linalol. And linalol is a kind of a nice compound to actually help to relax the system, uh, really help with balancing what we call the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight response kind of active and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is really the calm and kind of collected you know, type of response. So lavender is one of my go-to when it comes to relaxing and all that. And then when it comes to really just mood and, um, you know, energy and productivity, I, I like usually like, you know, what I would say lemon scent or like grapefruit scent, uh, because I just feel like it's fresh and kind of really just gives you that nice activation without overwhelming stimulation of the nervous system. So awesome. Citrus, citrus based uh, smell, basically. Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. Now back to the show. Well, let's jump right into the listener questions. This one's funny. It's from Logan in Richmond. Over the past few months, I haven't been sleeping good at all. I've had the craziest dreams, and some nights it feels like I dream all night. Other nights, I toss and turn and literally can't sleep. Can't sleep. I've, tried I've tried everything, everything from, from taking, taking melatonin, melatonin to counting sheep. I started to build up a tolerance for melatonin, and even though I know it's natural, I still don't want to be dependent on sleep aids. What can I do to get a good night's sleep and have enough energy to make it through my busy work day? Got it. Um, that's that's a, a, a very, very uh, insightful question. And thanks for providing all the details of what worked and what did not work. So there's two pieces to this I would look into. Number one, melatonin itself. It's, uh, she, she mentioned, it was a lady, right? That one asked the question. Logan, I don't, it oh, probably Logan. could be a sorry, boy, boy or a girl. It could be, yeah, it could be either. Well, Logan, <laughs> the answer to the question is to melatonin itself. Yes, some people unfortunately use it um, in the mo not most proper way because people could actually develop tolerance to it. And it's really unfortunate because that's not what most melatonin supplements tell us in the bottle. They just say use three or five milligrams of melatonin and you know use it every night. But melatonin actually has an art and science to using it. So if a person is using it every day at the consistent dose, they will probably not get the best benefits from it because the body starts to stop producing our own internal melatonin and we become reliant on in, in that and we actually saturate the system with, with melatonin where it doesn't work as much and as good. Um, so I would say if we're going to use melatonin, it's actually good to use it strategically where we're using it more to help with circadian rhythm changes. So for example, not to use it every day, but to use it in times where there's already a shift happening in our schedule, like in the weekend, right? Or during traveling. And a good actually dose of melatonin should not be very high. Like most melatonin supplements in the market, like they're three milligram to five milligram melatonin. We don't really need that much every day. If anything, we probably need half a milligram to a milligram of melatonin. Uh, and sometimes we may even need to use it not just before we go to bed. We may even need to use it actually late in the afternoon 
Because melatonin doesn't make us go to sleep. All what it does, it's almost if you have somebody that echoing, like an echo in the body that tells the body, go to sleep or start to prepare to go to sleep. That's what melatonin does. But if the person is already dealing with a lot of other things, it may not do the work that it needs to do, you know? Um, so now going back into, into sleep, I would say the biggest research I've have seen and the several books I've read about sleep and I've done actually a lot of work in sleep because it's in our, one of our digital products, you know, that, that we have, we talk a lot about sleep and, um, one of the biggest changes I, I would say is really lifestyle modification when it comes before what to do before bed. And I'm talking about 90 minutes before bed. That's a critical period of time of how our sleep quality will be for the rest of the night. The reason why 90, because for example, blue light, and we're all familiar these days with cell phones and iPads and like the TVs, we undermine the effect of blue light, but literally an exposure to blue light, you know, for, for every 30 minutes of exposure to blue light, we could be delaying our sleep by an hour to an hour and a half. So it's important to really disconnect from blue light effects like such digital devices, computers, and things like that, at least probably 60 minutes, even 90 minutes before bed. And I know it's hard. And I, and I talked before, I'm more of a practical person, but if, if sleep is important and it should be, <laughs> then we should really do our best to disconnect from blue light. So I say, number one, go dark, completely in the bedroom. And going dark means you should have no light at all in the bedroom. And I'm saying no light means not a cell phone charger, not an alarm, not a shaver, nothing that emits light. Because even little light like an alarm, you know, what a lot of people sometimes they have the alarm clocks if they're not using their phone. You know, some of them has that like the digits kind of showing. That is the light. Our skin could actually see light, believe it or not, which is interesting. Uh, so some people are like, hey, it's dark enough. But if it's not dark enough completely where our skin could see the light, we may actually be still feeling the result of the blue light. So to me, rule of thumb, go dark. Where if you raise your hand in front of you at night in the bedroom, you should not be seeing your hand. If you see your hand, that means it's not, it's not dark enough. Mm. That's number one. Number two, temperature, which is very critical when it comes to the body temperature as we actually go to sleep, especially during sleep or even to go to sleep. Um, like we normally like to have a temperature of 65 to 68 for a night. So anything above that, usually unless if the person is really dealing with thyroid problems or something like that where they're dysregulating their temperature, anything above that actually disrupts the sleep and it doesn't kind of get us into the lower, uh, into the deeper stage of the sleep. So we'd say besides going dark, go cold <laughs> if, if you can handle that, you know. Uh, and if anything, just maybe cover with, a, with a, a light sheet or something, you know, from that nature just to kind of keep the body warm. But at the same time, you're not sweating. You're not actually feeling like too warm. Mm. Um, and then the third thing really, you know, like to, to, for me, for, for sleep, I think it helps to do some meditative practices, uh, you know, just before to get to sleep. Because sleep is like almost like a zone of our life that is so important. And we are a lot of time get to sleep with a busy mind, right? It's like we're busy. We've got things going on. If we have kids... <laughs> there's a lot of things. We're going back to school right now, right? It's back to school season. There's like so many things to be jumping into our mind. So it's so critical to actually get into like a meditative state before we get to sleep. So just a few moments of maybe doing yoga practices or journaling your gratitude. And that is so critical, uh, especially gratitude journaling. I personally call my gratitude journaling my my gratitude, my, grat my good night gratitude, <laughs> because it actually, the more I list more things I'm grateful for at night, the more I feel better and the more I'm actually able to get to sleep with a better mood and a better uh, sense. And there's even some research about that, like gratitude journaling and actually helping to go to sleep. So these are the three things I would say from a lifestyle, you know, changes. There's definitely some supplements a person could do, like there's GABA, there's 
But I'm like not a heavy proponent of actually supplements for sleep. I think it's important to fix what's going on in our life that is maybe preventing us, especially when it comes to light, temperature, and the state that we're getting into before we sleep. Is that helpful, Chantel? Yeah, and hopefully helpful for Logan? Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. All right. This is from Vicki in Cleveland. I'm mm. such a stress eater. Stress at work, I'm eating. Stressed about money, I'm eating. I'm definitely not proud about this, but how I, it's how I deal with my stress. I'm really trying to kick this habit, but it's hard. I'd love to quit cold turkey, but I know it won't happen. In the meantime, do you have any tips or trip, tricks to help me with this? Vicki in Cleveland. Stress eating, yes. Uh, de- definitely uh, a memory of my previous life. <laughs> that's, that's, it used to, I used to call lunch the productivity thief in the past because I, I, I used to feel that it's taking time for me and then I end up actually like feasting on triple cheese, you know, pasta or like, you know, garlic, garlic bread because it's the reality. It's like a lot of us, unfortunately, sometimes because of the, and it, it's, it's really physiological. Our body goes for food when we're stressed. Um, and if the stress is tremendous, then a lot of time we even end up shutting down from food. We don't want to actually be eating. But if the stress is kind of moderate and consistent, we end up usually just going for comfort foods. I would say my number one thing when it comes to stress and food is really to go with what we call that choice architecture. It means to prepare yourself. You know that you're a stress eater. And, and I would say use that term lightly. I should not, I don't think we should quantify ourselves as stress eaters because then we end up using that as an excuse sometimes to be, to be truthful. It's like, I'm a stress eater. I, that's what I do. But um, it's important to say that it's more like a phase of a reaction to our body. And when it comes to stress eating, I would say preparing the environment around you to support you for not to do that becomes really, really important. So one of the big tools I use, I call it the have you know, like what we call like, you know, a bold, a bold cue in front of you that would actually cue you to go for something healthier. So for example, for me, it's like, I'm always kind of have some protein shake around me somewhere in the room, because I feel like if I do feel like I need to grab something, then maybe it's going to be that. And as soon as I do that, it curbs my craving for like a dessert or a sweet or something from that nature, you know, and protein normally is more filling. If, if you notice, probably Chantel, like when you got those three candy pieces, you weren't full. You know, like, you know, you got a little bit of satisfaction, but then you probably wanted something right after that, you know, um, versus when you actually eat a little bit of a rich protein uh, snack, like let it be maybe nuts or let it be a protein bar or let it be even just like, you know, some fruit with some peanut butter if you, if you not have, have sensitivity to that. There's a big difference of actually having that protein when it comes to stress um, eating. Um, and then the, the other part of it too, what I would say is ride the wave. There is a, a psychological concept we say when it comes to craving and stress eating, we say ride the wave means as soon as you think, of, man, I need to eat something, just give it five minutes. And, and a lot of time it actually changes. You don't want to eat anymore, you know, um, especially if that eating was more related to stress means like it's not true hunger. You know, if it's true hunger, then you're hungry. And that's a different case. But if it's not, then riding the wave just through what we call mindfulness practices and drinking some water, a lot of time just that thought passes. So that's, that's kind of like very simple. There's a lot more to this, Chantel, and, and it's yes. kind of hard to answer it in like a minute. But I actually, in our website, we have a blog and it's kind of a free blog. We call it like how to win under pressure and, and what to eat under the pressure. That might be an interesting article uh, for, you know, for this person to actually check out because I get into a little bit more detail on that. I agree. And I think the biggest thing for this person to do is to make a commitment to only eat when they're physically hungry and to stop when right before they're full. Because as soon as you're stressed, 
you can if if you even say okay i'm stressed i'm gonna go eat carrots you now are still associating when i'm stressed i'm eating you have to break that cycle and say, when I'm stressed, it doesn't matter. I can't even have plain carrots and celery because I'm still teaching my body that I can eat carrots and celery and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. The body, you're training your body that the only time you're eating is when you're physically hungry. And so if you run to food, even if it's healthy food when you're stressed, that's gonna, it, it's gonna not give you the results that you want. Yeah, keep perpetuating the cycle. And that's why, as I said, be careful of using the term, I'm a stress eater, because then yes. you're putting that identity as you're that type of a person, and you're not. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important definitely not to have that identity, because our identity dictates our actions and, and our thoughts. So we, I like what you said, Chantel. Yes, like, it's like food is really meant to be doing something. It's not meant to be just substituting for the stress that we have in our life. All right, Michelle from Omaha. I'm a restaurant manager at Olive Garden here in Omaha. Don't get me wrong, I love our food and I can eat it all day, every day. But I'm starting to pack on pounds and I'm not too happy with myself. The last thing I, do want, I want to do when I get home is cook. I do that all day long. And when I'm at work, of course, I'm just going to eat while I'm there. But do you have any fast meal prepping, simple meals? And do you suggest that I even do meal prep? Michelle in Omaha. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's also uh, a very real life question. Um, and, I, and I go back into the concept of absolutely meal preparation and preparing your meal. It's, it's, uh, it is definitely one way to actually be in control. I always say that, you know, our willpower is very finite. And if we play defense with our willpower, we don't really serve our best. We always have to play offense when it comes to willpower, right? And just like how we do in business, like we develop a strategy before we execute anything. We almost like say that's the same thing when it comes to our food. We should have a strategy of what we need to do. So food prep is critical. I'm, I think these days with everything going on in the market, there's like so many companies are willing to actually kind of have meals prepared in all type of forms and different diets. Uh, needs could be could be uh, solidified, but I'm also a proponent of just keep things simple, right? I mean, um, it, it, a lot of time is like you know we get overwhelmed with how many food choices we have to make, and it's really amazing because like a lot of us we think we make food choices only two or three times a day, but believe it or not, we make about 200 plus food choices every day. Um, so if we simplify that, for example, to say great for breakfast, I'm most likely going to be kind of doing something that is already like a yogurt with some fruit. And again, if you don't have dairy allergies um, and, and then you know, possibly, or like replace that with a protein shake or a smoothie and add to it some sort of, you know, natural proteins like chia seeds or uh, things that has fiber in them. So yes, I'm big proponent of meal preps. I, I think they, they help and that could be other outsourced to someone to do it for us if the financial needs is there, but they're not that expensive anymore. I mean, I've actually seen some meal prep companies these days, they would sell each meal for like five or $6, which is cheaper than, you know, <laughs> the average kind of like quick food, quick food places. Then I'm also more like surround yourself with good food. So if you, I don't, I mean, probably at Olive Garden, you have a lot of choices, but even Olive Garden, interestingly, these days are offering actually some healthier alternatives and it's not all just pasta anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my opinion about meal prep and I agree, like I was hungry and the only thing I had around me was those little gingins. So yeah. I had that. And I definitely think you keeping healthy foods and snacks 
you know, in your in your office or somewhere is a great idea. My only thing that I don't like about meal prep is this, is that like I've seen, like I have one friend and he, he's actually my personal trainer and he literally like does meal prep and he makes the same thing like for like four days in a row and like he'll yeah. just literally be like, you know, chicken and broccoli, chicken and broccoli, chicken and broccoli, chicken and broccoli and then like, you know, whatever it's like the same thing that he's eating like four days in a row and my big thing is like again you want to eat what your body is calling you to eat like you're planning four days worth of chicken and broccoli or um you know turkey and broccoli or turkey and green beans like what is your body craving what is your body calling you to do and you doing all this crazy meal prep now I do think you should have some healthy choices and have different things there, but I don't, I don't like when people get too Nazi about it because yeah. then again, you're not listening to your body. Like every day I kind of ask myself, okay, what is my body craving right now? And your body will tell you, you know what? I'm craving shrimp or I'm craving a burger. I might need iron. So I loved what you said earlier about, yeah. And that's, and that's actually a good point, Chantal. You bring up a good point with the meal preps, which is really a drawback. I agree with the meal preps. Sometimes people go and they become very repetitive in their behavior. And that's why then they hate it. I mean, like they may do it for a month or two. And yes. Like, oh, just, just like screw this meal prep. Like I, I don't do this anymore, you know, or they give yes. up. And, and that's, I, I agree. But big part also about meal preps that is very regimented, like for example, chicken and broccoli, chicken using the same food every day is not the best for our body either. We need to have a rotation. This is how yeah. nature rotates. We have different seasons. We have different things. Our bodies actually have different rotations that we go through and our needs, even I mean, going back to protein, since that's an area of my expertise, even protein. A lot of people, for example, just eat chicken, 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 chicken. I was like, well, you got to be careful because you can develop actually sensitivity because you're eating it every day. So it's important to vary the protein intake. Maybe a chicken, maybe a salmon, maybe eggs, maybe dairy. And again, if there's no, if there's no sensitivity, um, but you know, maybe plant-based proteins, right? Which a lot of us are actually depleted in. But that's I. I'm with you. I, I would say. I like to have flexibility and that's why a lot of time I think we should always kind of also try not to complicate things because sometimes like if we feel like we need a whole huge meal to feel satisfied and all really what we needed probably just could have been, you know, a, a little bit of a salad, a little bit of a soup and that's, and that's what it takes care of, you know, for that particular meal and not necessarily just to, to skip it or to scarf something faster. All right, last question, Steve from Chattanooga. I've had IBS for years. I fluctuate between constipation and diarrhea. I've tried eating yogurt with probiotics, but that doesn't do anything for me. So one of my friends mentioned taking a daily probiotic, which might help me. Should I try it? And if so, which one do you recommend? Um, good, very, very interesting question. Um, now, Chantel, I know you've also had some guests in the show that talked about probiotics and talked about, um, I think IBS is some level, and I know every expert might have their own opinion. When it comes to IBS um, and, and probiotics, it's actually a very controversial topic right now. And the reason I say that because probiotics, depending on what strains they contain in them and depending on the uh, colony per unit, like you know how much millions or how many billions they have, um, it, it actually causes a different effect. But with IBS, what we know is normally there could also be bacterial overgrowth or it could also be yeast overgrowth. And if there is bacterial overgrowth going on, the last thing you want is just to add more bacteria into the system without knowing which bacteria you're using or without knowing what kind of gas that bacteria is producing. I'm going to get a little bit specific here, but 
there is different bacteria create different gases in our stomach. So for example, there is some bacteria in IBS or in, you know, in SIBO, they would create methane gas, right? Some mm. would actually create sulfur and some would create hydrogen. And the type of probiotic we'd use, you have to be careful which bacteria you're targeting. Otherwise, you could be growing more of the bad bacteria that you're trying actually to avoid or kill or get rid of. So I agree. I've seen a lot of people sometimes just because probiotics are so prevalent these days and everybody's using them for anything related to the stomach or GI. Just use a probiotic. But I would say when it comes to IBS, actually, we have to be a little bit more cognizant and a little bit more uh, cautious about what's going on first and what type of bacteria we're dealing with, if there is a bacteria overgrowth or if there is a yeast overgrowth, and then choose the right probiotic. And normally my rule of thumb for the probiotics when it comes to IBS or SIBO is that we need to use a probiotic, a very number of, very selected number of a strain. So it means if there is a probiotic that have 30 different bacteria type or 30 different strains of bacteria, most likely that is not gonna be a good choice for that person. They probably should first go with a, something that have three to four or five strains and take a higher dose of it. It could even be reaching up to 100 billion unit or 200 billion unit for like two to three months and then rotate to another strain. Because what this allows, it actually allows the probiotic to truly inoculate the gut and allow it to grow the better kind and hopefully the bad, you know, the worse or the kind that is not needed start to die off. But the, the answer to that, it, it is a little bit of a loaded question to answer and use this particular brand or this particular probiotic. There's a lot more to it. I'm so glad you said that because for at one point I was taking this probiotic and it was like, you know, a hundred million gazillion, you know how they have on there, yeah, 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 what, what, what value it is. And I was miserable. I was taking it and I was like coming into work like this. And I was like, I just have to stop taking it. I actually, myself personally, I have stopped taking probiotics for at least yeah. the last um, six months. It, I was, it was making me sick, whatever. Yeah. I think the dosage was too high. I was taking, you know, of the probiotic, whatever I was doing, I felt better not taking it. And I actually haven't gotten back on it right now. So you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, there's different things that are in the hype. And again, you have to listen to your own body. How do I feel? Because I was, it was like a couple of weeks and I, I felt miserable. I was like, no, this is, yeah, you're <laughs> we're right. putting that. It's true. <laughs> and, and sometimes you wonder like, is there something wrong with me? Why is this not working? But it's really not something wrong with you. Your body's telling you something. And, you know, it is definitely critical to listen to that body intelligence. Body intelligence. I love it. <laughs> So I'm so excited. I know you have one thing that you'd like to give away that if anyone goes onto our Facebook page, we're going to pick one lucky winner. If you comment and like the post, what are we giving away today? Yes, we could give um, our productivity and health centric protein shake. That is a plant-based protein. We call it the peak performance package. Uh, we could give that. And it's like over $100 worth of a package. Ooh, that's so generous. Thank you so much. So go to our Facebook page. You're going to like and comment there. And good luck. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. That My was our pleasure. last question. But where can our listeners go to follow you and your work? Yeah, absolutely. So we have our blog, which is really, I've worked really hard on that blog and it's kind of coming and we keep updating. We do different things. It's, it's blog.umaxa.com. So it's blog.umaxa, Y-O-U-M-A-X-A.com. And I'm sure we could put a, probably a note for it somewhere yeah. there. Um, but they could also find us on Facebook under Umaxa or Instagram under Umaxa or under YouTube under Umaxa. 
So we have um, all these channels and, but like the blog is kind of my favorite place. I'm a little bit maybe kind of extra proud of it because like we actually do put a lot of work toward the articles and the details and every blog we have has got have to have some science and and it's really relevant topic like pretty much most of the stuff we talked about today we have one or two articles about that like the stressful eating or like you know the the sleep or like how to bulletproof your sleep if you have a bad sleep one day and um you know like the gut effect and and, and like yeah, there's a lot of cool kind of topics there when it comes to um, to the blog so i would say check out blog.umaxa.com well, Mazin, I feel like I could talk to you all day. You're super easy to talk to. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's a pleasure having you. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantalRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at ChantalRayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.